Good morning, Library 2.0. Steve Albrecht here with Catherine Penavari. And Catherine is a library director out in Stevens College in Lancaster, PA. Her two uh, books for Roman and Littlefield, which is my publisher as well for the Safe Library. Uh, her book, uh, 2015 book, uh, Genealogy, a Practical Guide for Librarians, and her 2020 book, uh, Genealogy for Beginners. Uh, good morning, Catherine. Good to be with you here today. Thanks for having me. Tell me about your, your library career, how you got into the work, and, and how it took you to where you are at Stevens. Um, well, I uh, became a librarian, a professional librarian in 20, 2000, and I started working for Western Kentucky University. And the librarians there are faculty status, so we had to pursue a research program for tenure and promotion. And I had always been interested in researching family history on a more personal level. So I looked into turning that into my research agenda and it worked out really well. Uh, there's quite a lot um, that overlaps with uh, libraries and academic research uh, with regard to that. Um, the, the research part was always fascinating to me, but I learned a lot about record keeping and record storage that I hadn't known about before. So it was really interesting for um, about 15 years I did that with WKU. So the the movement in, in genealogy and libraries seems to be pretty logical to follow the expansion of the internet and, and ancestry.com and and what what used to probably take days, you know, or weeks could could happen now in hours in terms of your access to the databases and things. I would just talk about your sense of of the sort of rapid evolution of the amount of information we can get at our fingertips now. Well, the rapid evolution with genealogy research mirrors the evolution of research in all areas. When I was much younger and in college, doing a research paper meant pulling down big, giant, fat books with tiny print that index journal articles, and then you go and find those articles and Xerox them. So now the research approach is quite different. So we have a sort of same old school approach it used to be you had to go to the state capitol or the national archives, sit in front of microfilms. It's much easier to access things, but at the same time, it's more difficult to pursue research in a way that follows best practices. There's so much that it's tempting to take everything is equal. So someone's family tree posted on Ancestry for someone who isn't careful has equal weight to the information contained in an original document. And that is not true because one is, well, the equivalent of like Wikipedia, you know, it's a crowdsourced thing. It's just someone saying this happened, this happened. So in order to really make accurate connections between people uh, there's a there's a best practices approach that's very important, but I encounter a lot of people who just take it as gospel what other people put in their family trees. Yikes. Yeah, so difference between primary sources and secondary sources, I guess, yeah? Well, the genealogy world doesn't tend to speak in terms of primary and secondary sources, but rather original sources and derivative sources. So an original source, say, a birth record created after a child is born. A death record is an original source for death, but it also might have the birth date and place, but it's a derivative source for the birth information. So 
that's generally how you approach a record. A record can contain multiple layers of information. And then that those records have to be interpreted. They don't speak for themselves. What they say is not always obvious. So they have to be interpreted in light of what other sources say. And it it becomes something that can be very academic, but a lot of people don't don't really want it to be like that. They want it to be easier than it is to do it right. So I do this class called Genealogy for Beginners regularly and is a community service thing. And I just have people throwing up their hands and saying, whoa, I didn't realize it was going to be so complicated. But it is. It's it's you're creating history. History doesn't exist until someone creates it. And in order to do that well, you, you have to approach it by pursuing it the right way, by, by collecting well, what, what the genealogists say is uh, making a reasonably exhaustive search for records. In other words, you find every single thing you can find in a reasonable amount of time and a reasonable amount of expense. And then you compare those things and you analyze them and you draw conclusions from them. But what you're doing is not easy. Creating history isn't easy. It, it may seem like it when historians explain what happened in the past, but really that didn't exist until someone looked at the documentation and put it together, as it were. So, you know, just from a layman's perspective, as I look at it, is 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 Ancestry.com kind of the gold standard for at least an initial public database that people can pay and get access to? I mean, do you do you kind of see it as the the starting point for the, the person that's at least trying to dive into the subject of them their lives? I see there being two essential collections of original records for doing genealogy research. One is Ancestry and the other is Family Search. Family Search is the web website web presence of the Family History Library in Salt Lake City. It's run by the Church of Latter-day Saints. Registration at Family Search is free and it does not connect you to the Church of Latter-day Saints. It merely gets you access to a a staggering number of original records from all over the world made available free of charge. And the Church of Latter-day Saints reasons for doing that are their own and people like me are just the beneficiaries of it. Ancestry is a business and it is a subscription, a yearly subscription they have different levels of access, but I consider it essential not just because it's the biggest, but it it has the original records. It's got a really wonderful search interface, very flexible, very easy to use, the best search interface I've ever encountered. It also has a built-in capacity for you to create your family tree and attach the original records to it, therefore giving people who look at it the documentary evidence that you used to create it. And then it has a messaging center where you can say, contact someone who is researching a person that you are and say, oh, I see that you have this person in your family tree. Uh, What can you tell me? Where did you get that information? That's really a really important thing. I have used that many times. I've been contacted many times by people. So it's, it's for the sharing. That's really essential. 
And FamilySearch dot is it FamilySearch.com or dot org. Dot org. Okay. And right. is so, Family Search and Ancestry connected in any way? I mean, do, are they the same organizations inside the church that are that are connecting databases or Family Search's own entity different than Ancestry? Ancestry was started by members of the LDS Church in the 90s, but it has never been officially connected to that religious organization. So, and it still isn't. It's it's a for-profit business. Right. So, no, they aren't really connected. Um, they both, though, offer that staggering number of original records in a searchable uh, interface that that is is pretty good. The uh, one thing Family Search doesn't have is that messaging feature. Uh, you can create family trees there um i don't do use that part of it um but they don't overlap there there are they do overlap some but the majority of what each one of them has doesn't overlap there are there are so many things that family search has that ancestry doesn't and family search is free if you register so there's no real decision to make about it you know and so you, you really need both i think to do good genealogy research and the third component of what i would consider essential is access to newspapers so there and that's a complicated picture because newspapers of course are private uh, they're they're for profit and enterprises and so they sell access to their archives as a rule so there are a couple of databases that i subscribe to three uh, newspapers.com newspaper archive and genealogy bank they also don't all completely overlap so the thing is to if the area or family you're researching the, the place might be covered by one but not the other so um and there's uh there's a couple of other things that i use fold three also is really really great for military records that mm. you can't find anywhere else right now having said that there's also a lot of genealogy records that aren't online so that's when the it gets more into the advanced stage where you you have to you know uh, using paper letters and phone calls you know pursue access to records a lot of court records are online but they are you know quite interesting and and contribute a lot to you know have contributed a lot to my knowledge about some past family things so when you when you talk to librarians especially librarians that don't have your background and are are just know of genealogy through sort of a basic understanding are, are you and helping them get get patrons in the right direction are those are the places you send them to ancestryfamilysearch.org things like that and i mean what, what's the message to library uh staff members especially just to say how do we get people interested in genealogy and and you know what what's the sort of you know crawl walk run kind of approach well i usually encourage not just librarians, but I encourage everyone who wants to pursue genealogy or advise people about it to pursue an approach that does not begin with subscribing to Ancestry and, in fact, doesn't begin with costing anything. And that is to record what you yourself know in some sort of organized way. And there's lots of free, fillable PDFs available online. So just write down what you know about your family background. And then the second stage also really doesn't involve the, the kind of research we've been talking about. And that is to interview and 
record interviews with family members. Um, the paper records that are available in Ancestry and Family Search and the newspaper databases are going to be there long after those people are gone. So recording and capturing their memories and asking them to tell stories because the people remember the why of things. And that's what's usually not available in the documentation, which tells you the what, when, who, and the where, but the why and the how. You know, why was this guy's nickname this? Why did these people move here? So I I think that those, that my advice to beginners for anyone is don't start with the online research itself because you really want to do the easier things but once you do get to the online research, I think it's a good idea. I would advise anyone, uh, especially librarians helping people, to encourage people to pursue best practices for research. Don't leap to conclusions. Go slowly. I always tell my classes, go at Mars rover speed, you know, <laughs> where they had those things going two hour. inches a day. Yeah, right. As you as you work backwards and making connections between people, don't don't do it in leaps and bounds. Make sure you have adequately established the documentation for every lineage connection that you make. If you put people in your family tree with parents, make sure you can show something that links them for sure. And not everyone has a birth record. They didn't even start collecting those till around the 1900 in most states. So when you look at, at libraries, uh, you, you know, certainly large libraries have genealogy rooms. There's original documentation there, maps and folios and, and you know, really, really old historical documents for people to look at. And then you look at, you know, smaller branches, smaller libraries. And and so most of their stuff is going to be, you know, you know, database driven. Is there a kind of a, a sweet spot, a happy medium where where library people can say, we, we want to get into this uh, this field and this this area for our patrons? And, you know, what's kind of a, a marching order for them to, to make that attractive for people to come to the library to do the work? Public libraries have long had a resource called Heritage Quest, which offers access to the census. The census is the most important record set that anyone can have for doing their own family history research. So that's always been available for free. Uh, at libraries. So that's really great. And a lot of public libraries, not all of them, maybe not the smallest ones, will have what's called an institutional membership for Ancestry. It's a limited membership that does allow access to the records and some other things like their wiki and the help, but it doesn't have the messaging feature or the capacity to create the family trees. So as a way to show people what's available, I think it's a terrific thing. Most libraries, I'm pretty sure, still don't allow that at remote access. So you have to, it's an in-library use only. And I think that's just for practical purposes. Otherwise, it would be overwhelmed. So I think that's you... that's the best starting place, Heritage Quest and, the, and then the Ancestry <clears throat> institutional subscription. You know, I think about um, some of the work that we've done in research in our family and, and historical associations and historical societies, especially in these small towns, are really a, a treasure trove. It's just surprising to me. They have old newspapers, they have, uh, you know, uh, grave registrations and all kinds of things. Is is there a connection between historical societies and in counties and cities and counties and libraries, or there should there be one where they're, they're kind of synergistic with each other? 
Well, it would be wonderful if there were um, better connections. They do tend to operate in separate spheres, I've noticed. The thing about historical societies is they often don't have the funding to digitize the treasures that you're describing. So I think the best way for people in a community to um, help out with that is is to facilitate that, that scanning uh, there's a special collections library in Chicago, and I went to and I was looking at the newspapers and I said, these things are fragile. Why are you letting me look at them and turn the pages and they're crumbling? And they said, we don't have the funding to digitize them. And I thought, wow, this, now I know what I do if I were rich. It would, it, it, If you just leave them in that one paper form, they're going to decay and not be usable. But once you've digitized them, they become usable. So I would say that's probably the biggest challenge for places like you're describing those historical societies. They often have wonderful compilations written by local people, like of land maps and cemeteries and lists of settlers. They're just terrific. Now, sometimes those do get digitized. And a lot of them are available at a really wonderful public domain site that I think is terrific and most people haven't heard of called Hathi Trust. Are you familiar with that? Not. What, what, how's that one spelled? Uh, H-A-T as in Texas, H-I. And then trust. So Hathi Trust and .org. Um, okay. It's a essentially a, a database of public domain book manuscripts and publications. So if something has gone out of print, it's like it it's think Google Books is very similar, but Hathi Trust has so many of those things you're talking about that are like let's say, you know, somebody in a community put together a sort of history of the town. It never was published formally. It may or may not be listed in WorldCat. But if they've donated a copy of it to a, a public library and that library has made their public domain holdings available to Hathi Trust, it will be there. And I found some really incredible things that way. So it's a, it's a way of, of connecting if these societies, these these local societies. The best thing they can do to, to, to make what they have available is to get them digitized and donate them to the library and make them available on Google Books and Hathi Trust. I think that would be really great. So back in September, I did a, a keynote for the State Library of Virginia and a beautiful facility in, in Richmond. And that, that's really the archive for the state of Virginia of all the Civil War stuff and, and everything and, you know, from, from the Commonwealth statehood forward. And, and you know, when you were talking about the you know, the issues that the historical societies and associations face. Uh, the State Library of Virginia has just done a huge uh, number of volunteers. And these people uh, scan stuff and enter data and and they have, you know, they're just an army of folks to do this. And and one of their points of pride is how accurate they are. They, they go back and spot check and audit some of the stuff. I mean, they're, they're absolutely no mistakes. They get it absolutely spot on. So, so is that something that library people can do as well, which is sort of encourage a a volunteer movement to come in and say, hey, help us with some of these historical documents and help us get the stuff scanned and online? Oh, absolutely. I think people are always in communities are always looking for for 
kind of things to do like that that not only benefit the community but allow them to you know meet other people so i think it's it's a terrific initiative i do think that the standard that you just described where they have like double blind checking and things that has come after many years of not doing that and as a result the things that were indexed decades ago for ancestry and family search are actually not indexed as well there's quite a lot of mistakes in the indexing. So one volunteer effort that I participate in, kind of just all on my own, it's not part of a group, is I just will go on Ancestry and look at census records and also immigration records, travel records of incoming passengers. And I will look at the names and then fix the indexing. And this is especially important to me because I, researching my family members who came from Croatia and it, and Italy and <clears throat> Slovakia, <clears throat> the names of the people were written down by people who knew what they were. So the names are correct on the forums. But then they were indexed you know, 100 or so years later by people who didn't know the handwriting conventions or even what would be a first name, what would be a last name in these countries. So finding all of the Panavarias who came to the United States was very challenging for me because the name got, it's got 10 letters and the possibility that one of them was going to be indexed incorrectly. So they were going to index it with the one of the wrong vowels or something was very high. So I had to do a lot of truncation searching where you need to replace a letter and patiently I did this. So I do it for a lot of other things. So that's a volunteer effort that someone who, you know, would be interested in, I don't know, helping the world of research. Because every time I make a correction, I then make it possible for someone researching that person to retrieve that record. So otherwise it's sort of lost in the ocean of records, it won't be retrieved because they don't know that the name was indexed incorrectly or put in reverse fields. Sometimes, you know, Smith, Jack, they would put Smith as the first name and Jack as the as the last name, which is not correct. But if it was written that way on the form, it, it, that's how it got indexed. So that's a, a volunteer activity that's more private. But I like your idea of, you know, volunteers coming out and doing all the scanning and things. It's Scanning is very tedious. I've done a ton of it. It can get boring after 10 minutes, and you're like, eh, the sound of that scanner is driving me nuts. But Yeah, it's, 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 it's just so necessary. Um, one of the things, you know, the Finding Your Roots program with Dr. Henry Louis Gates on PBS, you know, we watch it at our house, and we find it fascinating. And one of the things they do, obviously, for the Hollywood effect and for the, for the drama effect is, you know, they'll, they'll put in some piece of information like you came from slaves or you own slaves or your family was actually not from where you thought it was. Or, you know, this family had, you know, illegitimate children or whatever. It's oftentimes stunning to the people, these celebrities that are that are getting this information and and the sense that, you know, there are such gaps in their knowledge about about secrets in their families. How, how do you address that issue when you're talking to people about research? You know, be, be prepared for the unusual, be prepared for the dramatic be prepared for something going a completely different direction that you say, you know, here, here's a part of my family I didn't know existed. I mean, how, how do you cope with that as, as, as we help people research? Well, I like what you said, I would advise everyone to be prepared for that. That's inevitable because the way that we think about our family is very streamlined and simplified and it is not the full story. 
So there will be suicides and out of wedlock children and complicated living situations. Um, it's not a matter of, you know, that people were necessarily trying to hide that. It's just that as families evolve and generations go on, the complicated parts tend to drop away. And the parts people don't talk about are not then known by the next generation and the next generation. And then we sort of mythologize our ancestors. And, you know, I, I, I like the idea of just accepting them as they were, as, as complex people who have lives just as complex and colorful as ours. And I think, you know, in 200 years, what are my descendants going to know about me? Almost nothing of what really went into my daily life. Um, so I think, yeah, preparing yourself for that. I also would ask, <laughs> hope that anyone advising people about doing the, the DNA for genealogy would remind them that DNA results that are unexpected can transform your understanding of your family in a way that is not always comfortable. So it's something to think about before you go into genealogy research. Um, it's not for everybody. Is is I don't know that not a lot of people are that interested in the past, but I think emotionally, if you're really committed to your view of, of what the family is, then you might want to just stay away from peeling be those layers. Yeah, yeah because be that does happen. I did. I spoke to a lady who was just I just knew and did done the DNA test and she said I you know I need your help interpreting this and I was like oh okay I'm not really a DNA expert but and she she showed me and she said this shows that um my sister and I are only half siblings <laughs> um the interpretation of that is that you have two one shared parent and one different parent and she said but that that's not real that's not the reality I'm like okay the DNA is telling you this and your world and your life is telling you this. So now those things, you have to decide whether you want to pursue that. Right. You, you, can, you can choose to say, well, I'm sure they just got the test wrong. Shut the door on that. Walk away. Or you could start looking into it. And she said, I'm going to do it the first thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did not want to learn about what went into that. And and so obviously it was, it, it's a painful thing to encounter. The people weren't, what you thought they were or wanted them to be even. And you heard a completely different family story from people that you trusted before to tell you the truth. Maybe it wasn't always so. And it's sometimes when you tell people the truth in your family, they can become upset or even angry with you. So there's a sort of suspicion. A lot of people have like, why do you want to just dig up all the dirt, you know, leave it alone. And and so anyone talking to people doing genealogy should tell them the truth. That this is not a hobby. This is not a game. You're you are potentially affecting other people's emotions about the, the people in their family. Um, you know, everyone has relatives, aunts, uncles, cousins, siblings. Well, what are they going to think when you reveal to the world that X, Y, Z? And 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 I think it's something to think about. I chose to go into it just because I liked it and but the, when once you encounter the first thing that you're like uh oh then you have to decide 
who am I going to share this with? And am I going to put it in the family tree? I, I don't I don't think it's an easy thing. It's not an easy decision to, for anyone to make. So genealogy research is absolutely fascinating, but you are playing with fire a little bit when you're talking about the way people feel about their families. So, so it would seem to me in your work that you're pretty hopeful about the direction of genealogy just because of the, the access, the speed, you know, how fast the computing time is now. And, and you, you know, I, I, I came up in the world where my first computer was an Apple III in, in the 80s. And, you know, I think about how much power we have now. And, and so, I mean, is it a hopeful message that you have for, for library professionals about, you know, let, let's get people interested in the concepts and, and it's easier to do than it's ever been before? Yeah, I think connecting libraries to people's real lives is is easy with genealogy because everyone has a family and everyone cares about their family. That's not something that's specific to one subculture or not. Um, and so you can get them engaged by holding events that make it easy to get started. Um, I think that the beginner part is 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 pretty much it's very low key, you know, just fill in the PDF and then we start just demonstrating ancestry and family search. But as you know, people quickly run into problems where, well, they can't figure something out and they get to a point where, OK, they don't have birth records for the 1870s. So let's try to figure out alternate sources. And, and I think libraries are always great great places for people to congregate. So there's other aspects of doing family history research. I mean, I've known people that made quilts with their, with like as part of a quilting group where they put like the family tree in a quilt. I think that's a cool thing. I personally am not crafty, so I've never, never attempted anything like that, but I've seen like representations. So what you're ever doing, you're not really creating the representation you're making the history which can be represented in multiple ways so you can do a youtube video with the pictures and or you can do a quilt or you can do some kind of creative tree i, I think just getting people to get everyone loves talking about their families when i do my class everyone wants to tell me you know all the details that that they know and and i validate that because we all care about that and so it's it's a research topic that connects to people's lives at the most personal level. So I think, you know, at libraries as places where people congregate and, and research and, and become informed about things, that they're the perfect spot for that. So I've been talking with Catherine Penavaria. Her books are uh, Roman and Littlefield books, and you can find those at Roman, R-O-W-M-A-N.com. That's uh, Genealogy, a Practical Guide for Librarians, 2015 book, and also uh, Genealogy for Beginners, a 2020 book. Uh, Catherine, thanks for your, your conversation here today. How can folks get a hold of you? Um, well, I still, as an emeritus professor at Western Kentucky University, still have my email through them. So probably the best way to get, I don't have my own website. So the best way to get a hold of me is just my WKU email, which is my first initial K dot, and then the 10 letters of my last name, which uh, is P-E-N-N-A-V-A-R-I-A -A -A at wku.edu. Um, so that I will respond to anyone, you know, asking me questions about uh, genealogy. I, I really love that. I help a lot of people who contact me on Ancestry who are 
stuck or just getting started. And that's always something I really, really enjoy. So it's not connected any longer to my day job, as it were, but it's still it's still something I'm I'm really fascinated by. And of course, being a librarian, I just love helping people and, and you know, having them tell me uh, how much it means to them to have found things or made connections. I once actually made a grown man cry by finding his father's birth certificate from Sicily, original record in Italian, wow. which because he could understand a little Italian, he could actually read it. And, and he just was so moved to see that. And I mean, oh, he didn't like sob, but you know, he just got a little choked up about it. And I, I just think, wow, you know, that's what it's all about. It's about connecting people with with their family's pasts. And, and sometimes that's not in a great way and they don't appreciate me so much then. But anyway, I'd be happy to, to answer anybody's questions about the book. I really appreciate you uh, having me on today. Yeah, thanks for your contribution to the field. And, and I appreciate our conversation today. Uh, okay, thank you.